0: Well, good evening, everyone. And it's so good to be back home in Loma Linda. This is like my second home. Every time I come back, it feels like a homecoming to me. I lived here for about 10 years, so that's almost as long as any other place that I've lived, so it's nice to be back. And it's good to be back, especially at Advent Hope. This was my family when I lived here, so... Very nice to be back with you this weekend. The message for this evening is entitled, Taking the Kingdom by Force. And I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And the setting for this story is, that John the Baptist has been thrown into prison. And John the Baptist is starting to have doubts because here he is languishing away and in his mind if Jesus was the true Messiah, Jesus would have gotten him out of prison by now. He was the Lord's messenger who spake, who spoke the truth. Fearlessly, and all he gets for it is to hang out in this dungeon. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask a question Are you the one that should come, or should we look for somebody else? So some doubt comes into his mind. And so Jesus doesn't immediately answer their question, but he heals the sick throughout the day. And at the end of the day, he says, Go back and tell John what you saw today. After John's disciples leave, Jesus then gives what amounts to a eulogy of John the Baptist. And I want to pick it up in verse 7. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? You don't ordinarily go out into a far away place off the beaten path to hear a preacher. You're used to coming to a church, to an auditorium, to a facility, to the synagogue in their day, to hear a preacher preach the message of righteousness for the time that you were alive. But that was not the case with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not preaching in the synagogues. He wasn't an ordained minister with a a large flock that were following him at a specific church. He was a lone ranger, so to speak, out in the wilderness, but there was something about his message that stirred the hearts of many that they went out to hear him. And maybe you've had that experience in your walk with God. Maybe you've gone to church week after week after week, and after a period of time, the messages are not stirring your heart. There's no life or power in them. And then this preacher comes along that nobody's ever heard of before, but word gets around. If a preacher is preaching in the spirit and power of Elijah, I can assure you that the followers of God are going to become aware of that reality. And they will find that preacher and they will go to the ends of the earth to hear the preaching that God's people need to hear. And so when Jesus said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? Just the very fact that he said, you had to go out in the wilderness to hear this preacher was a rebuke to the Jewish nation and to the messages that were being given in the synagogues. They shouldn't have had to go to the wilderness, but that was the state of the Jewish nation at that time. Jesus said, what did you go out to see? A reed shaken with the wind? Now that's another rebuke. A reed or a weed that just blows with the wind. If the wind blows this way, this is what the preacher says. But if the wind blows the other way, then the preacher says the opposite thing. And Jesus is saying, when you went out into the wilderness, were you going out to hear John the Baptist because he's like a weed that would blow whichever way the wind was blowing to please your ears and to preach smooth sayings? Is that why you went to hear John the Baptist? Obviously, John the Baptist was someone who had a spine who couldn't be blown one way or the other. He was preaching according to what Scripture said, and he wasn't blown about by popular opinion. He let the Word of God speak for itself. You know, friends, we are living in crazy times where Before too long, just to be a Bible-believing Christian is going to invoke serious consequences. And there are too many Christians, and perhaps even Adventists, who have so assimilated into modern culture that we're like reeds or weeds shaken with the wind so that when the wind blows and the wind blows towards tolerance for everyone, then everybody goes that way. And before you know it, you don't have any Christians left. John the Baptist wasn't like that. He was not a reed shaken with the wind. And again, this is Jesus giving a eulogy, because he knows that John the Baptist is going to die. Then he keeps going. So, obviously, John was not a reed shaken with a wind. The implication is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were. Continuing, but what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they the wear soft clothing are in king's houses. And again, this is a rebuke to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who walked around pompously with their expensive clothes and people were drawn to their apparel rather than to their lifestyle and to the, their convictions. John the Baptist was not a flashy guy. He was a simple guy. But people didn't care about his clothing because of the message that he preached. Now, don't take that the wrong way and say, oh, I guess I can just dress as sloppy as I, as I want to and I can do whatever I want and still follow the Lord. No, we, the Lord expects us to be clean and neat. You get my point. But John the Baptist was not flashy. Then he gets into it even further, verse 9, But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yes, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. So John the Baptist receives the divine stamp of approval from Jesus. Yes, you went out to see a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. Now if Jesus, who is God, is saying that John the Baptist is more than a prophet, that is all the divine authority that you need to know just how important of a messenger John the Baptist is. And Jesus goes on to say, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. This is is Jesus pointing out the fact that John the Baptist is the messenger that was spoken of in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight a path in the desert, a highway for our God. And in Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 where it says, behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So when Jesus says, this is my messenger, those who knew Scripture knew what Jesus was referring to. This was the Elijah that was to come before Jesus came as the Messiah to do his work. And if you look at all of the prophets and their work that they were given to do up until that time in earth's history, the privilege that John the Baptist had to be the prophet and the messenger to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah was the most important work of any prophet that had come to that time. There have been many other great prophets, but John the Baptist had the most important work, according to Jesus, because he was the prophet that prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. And notice in verse 11. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. What an endorsement. Of anyone who had ever been born till that time, John the Baptist was the greatest. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, than he. Jesus simply means that those who had the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear the teachings of Jesus had a privilege that John the Baptist himself didn't have. John never got to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear the teachings of Jesus himself. But Jesus says, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, Now, again, to summarize what Jesus is saying, he's like, what did you go out to see in the wilderness? You knew that you were hearing a message that was special because you don't hear preaching like that, do you? This was a message that stirred your hearts. He wasn't like a reed shaken with the wind. He wasn't attracting you because his flashy apparel. He was attracting you because he was the Lord's messenger that was raised up by God to give a message to prepare his people for the coming of the Messiah. And what greater work could you witness than to witness the prophet that God raises up to give a message to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah? And what kind of a message did John the Baptist give? Was he patting people on the back and saying, it's okay, just keep doing what you're doing, and as long as you keep doing what you're doing, you'll be ready to enter into the greatness of the kingdom that the Messiah is going to prepare for us so that we will overtake the Romans. Is that what John the Baptist was preaching? That's what the popular message of the day was, but that's not what John the, Bap- the, that's not the message that John the Baptist was giving. He was calling people out for the sins in their lives. And they came under conviction. They were convicted that the sinful lives that they were living were wrong, and many of them repented and turned around and starting living according to the righteousness by faith that Scripture teaches us of a message that would prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah was not a message that was teaching them that worldly greatness will lead them to overtaking the Romans. That was not the message that John the Baptist gave. The message that he gave them to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah was a message that brought conviction for sin in their lives and of their need for repentance and from turning away from sin. Now, do you think that it might just be possible that before Jesus comes back the second time, he might raise up a message of similar quality, but probably of even greater power, because preparing people for the second coming of Jesus is going to take even more work than preparing them for the first coming? Do you think that the Lord is going to raise up messengers to preach smooth sayings and pat people on the back and just tell them, love Jesus, but do whatever you want and it doesn't matter? Do you think that's going to be the message that the Lord uses to prepare people for the coming of Jesus before Jesus comes back the second time? I don't think so. That's not what the Bible says. At least the Bible that I read. Now, Jesus continues here. Notice verse 12, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, so Jesus is saying from the time that John the Baptist began preaching till now, now that I'm in ministry and doing my work, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. Now, the title for this message tonight is Taking the Kingdom by Force. Notice what Jesus says. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. Now, the marginal reading says the kingdom of heaven is gotten by force. So, as opposed to it being overrun by violence, what Jesus is trying to say is that when John the Baptist began to preach and when Jesus began to do his ministry, it stirred the hearts of the people so that they developed a desire to go out and seize the kingdom of God with force. There was a realization that the kingdom of heaven is not gained by sitting back and floating along in life and just waiting for God to give you the keys to the kingdom. There's a response in the heart that leads to a change in the life that causes Not just one person or two persons, but a whole multitude of people when the message is given the way God designs for it to be given, where a whole multitude of people say this is the truth, this is the Jesus that I have been looking for, this is the Jesus of Scripture, this is the message of Scripture, and I am going to do everything in my heart and in my life to seize this kingdom and to gain this kingdom by whatever means necessary. That was the effect of the preaching of John the Baptist. I'm going to read to you from Ellicott's commentary. This is how they describe this verse. The words describe the eager rush of the crowds of Galilee and Judea, first to the preaching of the Baptist. And then to that of Jesus, it was, as it were, a city attacked on all sides by those who were eager to take possession of it. So, John the Baptist, Jesus, they're this one-two punch that stirs the hearts of God's people so that they go out to seize the kingdom of heaven by force because this is what they had been waiting for. You know, sometimes I wonder what's happened... To God's people. In so many ways, we're no different than the Jews of old. I mean, you you look at, at, at what people will say about church on Facebook, or you'll talk to your friends, and someone will say, you know, I didn't like that church because the pews weren't that comfortable, and that's just not my kind of thing and other people say yeah nobody said hi to me and look we want to be friendly we want to be a friendly church but some people are always into the element of what's in it for me what i'm going what am i going to get out of this service when i come and what can i gain from it rather than do you have an experience with jesus so that when you go to church you are there to help take the kingdom of heaven by force And so many of us have lost sight of that, and to be honest, A lot of the churches aren't helping the cause because so many churches and speakers are giving messages that are what we call seeker-sensitive so that we don't want to ruffle feathers and we want to make sure the pews are comfortable and we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and we sure don't want to make them uncomfortable in the lives of sin that they're living because we want them to come back so that they'll put money in the offering plate and so nobody's hearts are stirred and people are left feeling comfortable living in line. Of sin and ease and Laodiceanism, and nothing is happening. And then we wonder why, and then we just kind of look at everything from a me centered perspective of what is in it for me when I go to church. And sometimes we're so concerned about offending the visitor. I mean, uh, I'll just, I've seen this in several churches that I've been part of, people will say, You know, we can't talk about this from this. I even saw this on Facebook recently. We can't talk about what's in the Sabbath school lesson because that might offend a visitor who comes in and sits in our Sabbath school lesson. And we can't talk about this at church because that might offend a visitor who comes in and sits. Now, I I realize we need to be sensitive, but I can tell you I have spoken in many places where there have been non-Adventist visitors in the attendance who loved the message that they heard and they weren't bothered by the message, but it was the longtime Adventists who don't believe in the three angels' message anymore who were bothered by the message and they use the visitor as their cover to say we should tone down the message and then the visitor comes up and says wow I've never heard truths from the Bible like that before can we talk more about this this makes more sense to me than anything else I've ever heard And when John the Baptist and Jesus gave their message, John the Baptist wasn't looking around and saying, boy, I wonder if there's any people here who aren't Jews. Uh-oh, the Roman soldiers are here. I better not say anything about them or they're going to arrest me. You know, I, I saw something recently as well where someone was kind of saying this in a joking way yeah you know you gave a three-star rating to the church because the pews weren't comfortable yeah wait till you get to heaven and you talk to the first century christians and they're like oh yeah well our last day in church we got arrested for showing up and when you love jesus and when the message of jesus stirs your heart You're going to be like the people who responded to the preaching of John the Baptist and to the teachings of Jesus who they rushed throughout Galilee and Judea to hear the preaching of John the Baptist and then to Jesus saying, this is the message. This is what we have been purposed for in life, to be receivers of this message and to then share this with others. That was the effect of John the Baptist. Jesus is saying, John the Baptist, when you went out to hear him, he was not like a reed shaken with the wind. He was not clothed in fancy clothing. He was more than a prophet. He prepared the way for my work. And because of his work and his message and the work that I do, there was a one-two punch that stirred the hearts of God's people to take the kingdom of heaven by force. And he goes on to say, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if ye will receive it, this is Elias, or Elijah, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus makes it very clear, John the Baptist was the messenger that God raised up. But then he has a rebuke for the people of that day. And if I might so say, if Jesus were to be here today, he would have a message of rebuke for the people of our time. I can guarantee you that. Notice what he says about how he and John were received. Verse 16, But where shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned and you you have not lamented. In other words, you're like little kids and you're saying, please tell us what we want to hear. We're asking you, please feel sorry for us. We have this issue and that issue. Please be sensitive to our needs. And then he says, but that's not really the issue. Notice the true heart of these people. Verse 17, and saying or sorry, verse 18, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he hath a devil... Verse 19, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a winebibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Jesus is like, look, you guys are so hypocritical. You're saying, please touch our felt needs. And then John comes along, and he's giving a message that stirs the hearts of God's true people. And you're like, oh, we can't go hear that guy because he eats a weird diet. He's of the devil. We can't listen to him. And then Jesus comes along, and he eats the food that John doesn't eat and they're like look at that food that he's eating he's so gluttonous and drunken we can't have anything to do with them Jesus is calling them out for their hypocrisy and saying you'll find any reason you can find to reject truth for your time under a false pretense you'll say oh you're not meeting my felt needs oh you're not eating the kind of food you should be eating you're of the devil oh you're eating that food you're a drunken You'll just change the goalpost, change the goal line, whatever you want to call it. And as long as you can make the person look bad under your false pretenses, then you don't have to accept the message of truth for that time when God has clearly raised up a message. That's what Jesus is saying. And he goes on to say that in Verse 21, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So, there's more that Jesus says, but that basically makes the point. John the Baptist was the Elijah for his time. And the people of God in Christ's day were drifting downstream, and they were steeped in their traditions and of hopes of worldly greatness— And rather than waking up to a message that called out the sin in their lives and a message that would prepare them to be ready for the coming of the Messiah, they found every excuse to stay asleep. And they showed their hypocrisy by accusing John of one thing and Jesus of the opposite thing. And they really had no interest in having their hearts searched. John the Baptist was like an Elijah in his day. Elijah was the Lord's messenger or prophet who was praying, if you study this in the book of James, he actually was praying that it would stop raining in Israel because Baal was the god of rain, and all of the glory of the, the beautiful, fertile lands of Israel was going to Baal rather than to the true God of heaven, and Elijah prays to God, Lord, please stop sending the rain so that Baal will stop getting the glory for what you are doing here in Israel, and God says, aha, I have a man that can be my messenger. Okay, Elijah, since you're praying the kind of prayer that I'm looking for, you go tell Ahab that there's not going to be rain except according to my word. And and Elijah obeys. And he goes and tells Ahab there's not going to be any rain these years except according to my word. Boy, how many people would have the courage to do that? And then he goes out and hides for three and a half years, and he finally comes back and he says to to the nation of Israel, how long do you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, serve him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people were so double-minded that they can't answer. They're not going to say who the true God is, because we don't want to, boy, if it's Baal, we'll look bad if we say that the Lord is God. And Elijah was the man for his time that god raised up and after the fire came down from heaven he personally put to death the prophets of Baal talk about taking the kingdom of heaven by force john the baptist had the same spirit you know when i look at god's last day church how You look at Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, where it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. There is the element of Elijah the prophet before the coming of Jesus the first time, but there's also the element of Elijah the prophet before the coming of Jesus the second time. And when you look at God's last day church, we have been given a message that is the Elijah message, that is to prepare the coming of Jesus the second time. And when I look at some of the pioneers who, who came into this movement, I look at William Miller, who went around as an itinerant preacher as a farmer, and he was using his personal money to go around and preach, and he wasn't getting paid to do the work that he was doing, because his heart was so much in the work that he didn't care about the financial side of things as long as the work of God went forward. I look at Jay and Andrews, who was our first overseas missionary, how he sacrificed his personal health, and he lost his own daughter because of his dedication to the cause. His daughter was just a teenager. She was his right-hand person. He had already lost his wife before going over. Now he has his daughter who was so precious to him. Her name was Mary. She was helping him to translate all of his works into French for the signs of the time, and French over in Europe. And he, she caught a cold. It developed into tuberculosis. He brought her back to Battle Creek, and he sat in the room with her every day, and Dr. John Harvey Kellogg was saying, you need to stay away from her. You're going to contract the same thing. And Jane Andrews was like, she's all I have. And sadly, after several weeks of the illness in Battle Creek, she passed to her rest. And Jane Andrews was overcome with grief. He could, he could hardly imagine going forward, and Ellen White actually saw in a vision his wife and children being resurrected on resurrection morning, and she sent a a letter of encouragement to him saying, My dear brother, if you remain faithful, you will join your wife and children on resurrection morning. And you know, most of us today, if we were to go through an experience like that, we would be like, you know what, we put our time in. We're going to stay back now, and um, we've done what we could. Somebody else can go out and do the work. I'm not going to keep sacrificing anymore. That's enough. You know what Jan Andrews did? He went back to France because he had the Spirit that those who heard the message of John the Baptist and Jesus had, when they heard the message of truth, they went out and took the kingdom of heaven by force. And I look around Adventism today, and I'm sad to say, I rarely see such zeal and dedication in the cause of God. So many Adventists want an 8-5 to checklist work experience, and actually it's usually just a Sabbath morning checklist experience where we can have a small defined role that we can do and then the rest of the time we're putting our time and energy into the things of this world. And we work hard, and we beat ourselves down doing the things of this world, and God is looking down on his people, and he's saying, when is the time going to come when God's people will be raised up with the same spirit and zeal as God's people were when John the Baptist preached, and when Jesus did his ministry, and when the pioneers first came into the early Advent experience? When are God's people going to have a zeal, according to knowledge, that will have the love of God connected to it, that will stir the hearts and the minds of everyone we come in contact with. Because that was the effect of the preaching of John the Baptist, that was the effect of the preaching of Jesus. And God raised up the Second Advent Movement to be the conclusion or the climax, to what started with what John the Baptist and Jesus did. Just as John the Baptist was the prophet and the messenger that the Lord raised up to prepare people for the coming of Jesus, I believe that the Lord has sent a messenger to this church, a prophet, to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. This is Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 32. Ellen White says, I have had no claims to make, only that I am instructed that I am the Lord's messenger, that he called me in my youth to be his messenger, to receive his word, and to give a clear and decided message in the name of the Lord Jesus. Early in my youth, I was asked several times, are you a prophet? I have ever responded, I am the Lord's messenger. I know that many have called me a prophet, but I have made no claim to this title. My Savior declared me to be his messenger. Your work, he instructed me, is to bear my word. Now I want, to think, uh, I want you to think about something for a minute here. When Jesus said of John the Baptist, this is my messenger. He is a prophet. He is more than a prophet. Of those who were born of women, none is greater than he. Because he was the prophet that God raised up to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus the first time. You know, I know a lot of times in our modern era, Ellen White is often derided. But in the eyes of heaven... She was the Lord's messenger and prophet to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus the second time. Now think about that. If John the Baptist was the greatest of those born of women in his day because he prepared the way for the coming of Jesus the first time, just think about how heaven views Ellen White and her ministry. John the Baptist doesn't have any writings. It was a spoken ministry, and there is certain selections of his spoken word that is written down in Scripture. Ellen White is one of the most published authors of all time, and people will put her down and say, oh, that old woman and blah, 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 whatever, and when I read my Bible, the Bible says that God's last day church is going to have the testimony of Jesus, and if you're putting down her writings, you might just be putting down, well, you might not, it's not just you might be, you are putting down the testimony of Jesus who was the Lord's messenger that was raised up to prepare people for the coming of Jesus the second time. And let me tell you something, if you actually read her writings as opposed to listen to what other people say about her writings, I can guarantee you that your heart is going to, going to be stirred in a similar manner to the way people were when they heard the preaching of John the Baptist. And if you read Steps to Christ and Desire of Ages, you will know that this woman loved Jesus and that she is lifting up Jesus. But it's not just the love of Jesus in her writings, although it's all throughout her writings. Her writings begin with God as love, and it ends with God as love. But there are pointed rebukes to the people of God for the sins in their lives, and that's why people don't like her. They're like the Jews of old who will say, oh, John the Baptist is of the devil because he doesn't eat or drink. Or then they'll say, oh, well, Jesus, he's a drunken, he's a wine-bibber because he does eat and drink. And that's what people have done to her writings because they don't like the fact that under the testimony of Jesus, she calls sin by its right name. That's the honest reality. And just as John the Baptist was the messenger to prepare the way and then Jesus followed him. Ellen White is the messenger and at the end of time God has a group of people called the 144,000 who are like Jesus in character. So you have John the Baptist and Jesus In the time of Christ, you have Ellen White as the Lord's messenger and God's last day people who receive this message, who become the 144,000, they will be the ones at the end of the world who will give a message that will lighten the earth with its glory, that will call God's people out of Babylon, where the earth is lightened with God's glory. And then with a loud cry, we say, come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins. And we're so afraid to call sin by its right name now, but then we think we'll call it by its right name when we receive the loud cry. I don't think so. Now, we want to call sin by its right name in the love of Jesus, but don't think that you can sit back idly by while sin is is just coming in like a flood and then suddenly you can flip a switch when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit listen friends the Bible says that the Holy Spirit when he has come this is John 16 he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and if the Holy Spirit is in your life in the love of Jesus you will call out sin by its right name because that's the work of the Holy Spirit and my conviction is that in God's church today, there are too many smooth sermons. There are too many people who are like reeds shaken with the wind, who just blow with whichever way the popular wind of doctrine is blowing, and the side that I'm going to take a stand on is the popular side. The easy, popular side, that's my stand, that's where I'm at, I'm not going to ruffle any feathers. Now, I'm not saying that, on the other hand, you become obnoxious. I know other people who say, I'm going to be an Elijah, and then they're going around and putting up stuff on bulletin boards and around campus or on billboards and and it's done in a very toxic way and then when they're called out for it they're like see I'm being persecuted it's there's a right and a wrong way to do it but to not call sin by its right name is a huge issue in the church God has sent a messenger into the church For the last days. And those who receive the message will be like the people in the day of John the Baptist and of Jesus, who with eager zeal will take this message because of their love for Jesus to try to take the kingdom of heaven by force. And when God has a people who are eager to take this message, then we will see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the latter rain. I'm going to read a statement from Prophets and Kings, page 140, speaking of the Elijah message. Today is there is need of the voice of stern rebuke. For grievous sins have separated the people from God. Infidelity is fast becoming becoming fashionable. We will not have this man to reign over us is the language of thousands. And that's from the parable in Luke 19 where Jesus is the Lord and his subjects say we will not have this man reign over us. And if you study that parable carefully, the subjects are the people in the church. And when it comes down to it, many people in the church are saying, we're fine with Jesus being the Savior of our life, but we're not going to surrender and allow him to be the Lord of our lives. We're going to live the way we want to live, and he can save us, but we're going to be the Lord of our lives. And that's what the Elijah message is designed to call out. The smooth sermons so often preached Make no lasting impression. The trumpet does not give a certain sound. Men are not cut to the heart by the plain, sharp truths of God's word. There are many professed Christians who, if they should express their real feelings, would say, What need is there of speaking so plainly? And I'm sorry to say, I've run into people who are like that. Wow, that was too strong, man. You've got to tone it down. They might as well ask, Why need John the Baptist have said to the Pharisees, O generation of vipers who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Why need he have provoked the anger of Herodias by telling Herod that it was unlawful for him to live with his brother's wife? The forerunner of Christ lost his life by his plain speaking. Why could he not have moved along without incurring the displeasure of those who were living in sin? So men who should be standing as faithful guardians of God's law have argued till policy, listen to this, till policy has taken the place of faithfulness and sin is allowed to go unreproved. When will the voice of faithful rebuke be heard once more in the church? You know it's true. You know that policy has taken the place of faithfulness. We'll hide behind policy while sin is just coming in like an avalanche, like a flood, and we're like, well, that's just what the policy says, sorry. And yet the Bible says that it's wrong. When are God's people going to follow a thus saith the Lord. Where are the Elijahs in the church today? What would Jesus say to Seventh-day Adventists today? We who have received so much light, will it be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon the way it is for the Jews of old? Or are we going to become serious about being seventh-day Adventist Christians who love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind... And because we love our neighbors as ourselves, we will be willing to call sin by its right name in the love of Jesus and to go out and to give a message to the world that is full of the love of Jesus, full of the power of God, full of the three angels' messages, full of the Elijah message, and a message that will help to prepare for the coming of Jesus and the clouds of heaven. Let me just say it to you this way. The coming of Jesus will not be hastened by pat-you-on-the-back sermons while you're continuing to live a life of Laodiceanism. You can be patted on the back all you want for being lukewarm by fallible human men, but Jesus himself says, if you stay this way, I'm going to throw up. I will spew you out of my mouth, which means you will be shaken out of the body of Christ. And then Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now, most of us wouldn't consider that to be a loving message. Yet Jesus says, this is a loving message. Because I love you, I'm chastening you. And Seventh-day Adventist, to be honest with you, that's the messages that we need these days. You know, it's like when there's a flood, theologically what we're doing is we're getting out a fire hydrant to spray the fire hydrant into the flood, rather than saying we need a different method of healing than a fire hydrant for a flood. The true love of Jesus to the Laodicean church is to call sin by its right name and to identify the fact that too many of us are too comfortable in this world and we don't want to lift a finger to advance the cause of god we just want to be one foot in the world one foot in the church where we can have the best of both worlds and have our cake and eat it too and god is saying that's not going to get it done there needs to be a heart change and a turning to the lord fully and completely has the message made sense tonight? You know, this is a message for me as much as it is for anybody else. But this is something that I know that many of us as Seventh-day Adventists struggle with. And I believe that the Lord is moving upon hearts to try to stir people to become ready for the coming of Jesus. You just had a, a powerful series of meetings here with Restoration. I've listened to the messages myself and I know the Lord's doing a work to try to move upon people's hearts. And tomorrow is always too late to make the next step in your walk with the Lord. Today is always the day of salvation. And so as you, as you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you, whatever it is that you may be convicted on, Maybe there's a sin in your life that you're struggling with, an attitude you have towards somebody else, or just a permissiveness in your life of allowing sin to go unchecked in your life, in those around you, in your family's lives, maybe with people at work or other people you go to church with, and you realize that you need more of the love of Jesus so that you can faithfully call sin by its right name in the right way, so that the Lord can use you to be a light to a dark world. Whatever it may be, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you of what that is. And so I just pray that you will surrender whatever it is, and that the Lord will raise us up to be a mighty army that takes the kingdom of heaven by force. Amen? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us out this evening. And I pray that as you use John the Baptist to stir in the hearts of many a a desire to take the kingdom of heaven by force, you would raise up modern John the Baptist to stir in our hearts a desire to take the kingdom of heaven by force with the love of Jesus and with the power of God so that someday very soon The earth will be lightened with the glory of God and we will give a message that will call your people out of darkness into light and that Jesus will take us home very soon. Be with us through the rest of these Sabbath hours, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.